If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burden contains depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. As children, we absorb what's around us. We learn from the people in our lives, especially our parents. Many children grow up as witnesses to horrific violence. Many are victims themselves. And some of those children perpetuate the cycle of violence long into their own adulthoods. Who and how we love can be a complicated thing. During several of our interviews, we were struck by the contradiction of someone telling us what a good man Red Letterman was, but in the same breath, how he beat his wife so badly she had to go to the hospital, more than once. Michael's dad, Red, was a very violent man. His older son, Topper, who is Ashley's father, does not have good memories of his home life as a child. I don't have, I don't have a, a, a good memory that I could talk about that didn't end bad as far as my dad goes in my life. I, I can honestly say that I can't think of one good day that started out good and remained good. You know, I think about him from time to time, and I loved him because he was my dad. But that was it. The second of 12 children, Donald Wayne Letterman was born in Texarkana in 1940 and lived his whole life in Arkansas. According to family lore, Red was riding his horse when he came upon Elizabeth, who was walking to work. She was 14 and he was 16 or 17. They were married 59 years when he died in 2016. Well, Liz did divorce him for a time, but she went back. Red was not a faithful husband, and Liz knew it. Topper remembers nights when she'd put the kids in the car and drive around looking for Red. He would drink at the VFW and at deer camp. Topper was at deer camp once, sitting around the campfire with his dad and others. Dad had this woman up there named Rita. And... I didn't like her, you know, mainly 
Well, her and dad sitting up here one night, and daddy was making jokes about mama. And Rita, I don't remember something was said, and so I just told him, I said, let me tell you something. I said, you can talk about her all you want to when I'm not sitting around here listening. I said, but when I'm sitting here listening, y'all both keep your mouth shut about her. And I told him, I said, one day you're going to be sick, shitting all over yourself. Is this horse up beside you going to wipe your nasty ass for you when that happens? Is she going to take care of you? Nobody said nothing. You could have heard a pin drop. One thing you heard was the fire crackling. But I'm in it, and that's the way it ended up. We interviewed Topper in person and later by phone several times. He's tried to explain what growing up was like. As he's listened to these episodes, he doesn't like being lumped in with the Lettermans in this context. He has done his best to get away from that violent past. Topper worked hard as a kid with his dad. He said during breaks from school, he'd have to get up at dawn while his friends were enjoying their time off. He developed a strong work ethic from a young age. He was also driven to get away from home. He first left when he was 15. He would return every now and then, but he didn't want to be there. Topper was also wild. He partied like a lot of young people. He also fought. A lot. Although he said he never went out looking for a fight, he didn't shy away from them. And now, at 60, he wishes he could go back and do things differently. There are people he'd still like to apologize to. I asked if his dad had regrets or had softened in later years when his mom went back to him. Topper didn't think he was still hitting her, but Red was still Red. The Letterman kids wouldn't try to help their mom when they were young. They didn't do it just a whole lot in front of us. Uh, we just would come in off the school bus or something in the aftermath. You know, when we intervened, we suffered the same consequences. Uh, lips would be busted, nose bleeding, eye black. We knew she was embarrassed about it and ashamed, you know, but she had nowhere else to go. And Michael has followed in his dad's footsteps. Walks like him, talks like him, acts like him, reacts like him. You know, he's the one in control, the bully. Uh, you know, it's like he'd get up in the morning, uh, got to go somewhere, and would tell his wife, my breakfast better be ready when I get back. You know, you do this, you go do that. Some of the Letterman kids' friends saw their dad's violence firsthand. David Gosa was Billy's first boyfriend, but long before then, he was friends with Michael Letterman. Michael was one of the first ones I met when I moved down here. David said that as a kid, Michael was always doing dangerous things. He would ride his motorcycle and shoot out of the woods crossing the highway with no regard for any cars that may have been in his path. David also said the Letterman kids were fighters. He said Michael always had a temper, but he never saw him hit his siblings or abuse animals. I seen him fight all the time, you know, just argument, but not never just hit on him or anything. I seen the daddy hit his mama one time. He was all sitting around a table eating supper. And Liz was sitting right here, and me, Chopper, Michael, Donna, all of us were sitting there. And I can't remember from my life what Miss Liz said, but he leaned forward and went, wow, and she just flipped out in the floor. He said, now shut your effing mouth and get up here and let's eat dinner. She didn't say a word. She got up, sat up in her chair and wiped her face off and went back to eat and didn't say one word. Nobody said a word. So I hurried up and got my plate and I went home and I told my mom and daddy, I said, I can't believe what I seen because I had never seen nothing like that. And that scared the mess out of me. Red would beat his children too, according to David. Violence was just normal for them. Anywhere they went or anywhere you go, it was always a fight with them. Whoever they're around, they fight with anybody. They always did. 
So I got to where I just didn't hang around them much because I wasn't into all that. David Gosa has twin sisters, Teresa and Lisa. Lisa was friends with Michael's sister Molly when they were teenagers, but she didn't see the abuse that her brother David had. I do know the kids were scared of their dad, and um, I do know that their mom went to the hospital a couple of times because she was beat up. As far as I know, they had a good relationship, all of them. They just sometimes fought. As adults, when her sister Teresa dated Michael, Lisa's opinion of him changed dramatically. But in the meantime, Michael was practicing his abusive behavior on other women. Once when David Gose and Billy were together, they were hanging out at the sand pits, riding four-wheelers. And we got wet, and it was cold, so Gay and Billy got in the truck, and me and Michael were still standing outside the truck, and she had, he asked Gay for a cigarette. When she handed it through the wind, it dropped out of her hand. She dropped it, and he just reached in there and grabbed her by the back of the neck and was holding her down in that sand, telling her to pick it up, and I grabbed him. I said, man, what are you doing? He said, get back, this is my wife. I said, no, not in front of me. You ain't going to do it. And Billy seen that. Wait, he did that to Gay? To Gay. But Billy was there? Billy was seen that. I, me and her were still together then. I'm Stephanie Harris. From Power of Pod Productions, this is Episode 5 of Burden. The Letterman's. Here's my co-host, Karen Trico-Stewart. Michael didn't limit the abuse to his girlfriends or wives. One of the few friends that Billy had managed to stay in touch with, her best friend Sarah, has her own scary story about Michael. She and Billy had been out riding around on back roads one day. When Michael heard about it, he just couldn't stand it. So the next day, he comes by my house just in a rage. Michael asked Sarah who they were with and what they'd done. He demanded that Sarah take him everywhere Billy and Sarah had been. So to appease Michael and try to prevent any further harm to Billy, Sarah did. They drove on the same back roads to a bridge that crossed the bayou. Well, this bridge is not like your regular bridges. It was like one of the rail car bridges and had no guardrails or anything. And he stops on the bridge. And uh, and he grabbed me and he hung me over the bridge. And it was a good drop, probably, I'm going to say probably 20 foot to the water. Michael kept demanding to know if anyone else was with him. There had been a third person, a boy that Sarah liked, but Sarah said there was no way she was going to mention that. He said, you don't tell me, I'm going to let you go. So here I am, being held over the side of this makeshift bridge, and he didn't draw me, thank God. While Sarah never witnessed Michael hitting Billy, and she tried to stay away when Michael was home, there was another time when she saw his cruelty and anger. She and Billy had gone shopping together that day. And whenever we got back, Michael comes over and grabs the truck door and where the F have y'all been? Screaming, hollering, um, jerks her out of the truck. He stands there and sprays her for a few minutes, and then he just takes the truck door and just slams it as hard as he could. Sarah says she wasn't sure what to do, so she just drove home. She said that as far as she knew, Billy didn't come from an abusive home. Her father seemed nice and not like a violent person. He ended up in prison, though, for a car deal gone wrong. It left him unable to pay some of his debt in a timely manner. 
but when he was home, Michael's abuse seemed to subside. Billy worked at a grocery store, then a restaurant, and then at the airport so the family could pay the bills. But Michael made her stop working. Billy was then secluded. No co-workers to talk to, nothing that might make her day a little more pleasant. No one around to ask if she was okay. Michael could beat her all he wanted. He could leave bruises and not worry about people knowing, because Billy would be at home. Day-to-day living was already a struggle for the couple. But now that they were relying on Michael's inconsistent work habits to keep the lights on and a roof over their head, things were especially bad. Sarah said there were times when Billy tried to leave, but that was before they got married. And once Billy and Michael had their daughter shortly after they were married, she stayed. After she uh, had Whitney, she never left anymore. Abusive partners often use children as a means of control. Michael certainly did. Billy's sister Melissa remembers a time that Michael and Billy were over at her house. They'd come to drop off baby Whitney so that Melissa could watch her while Billy went to work. Then Michael and Billy started fighting, and things escalated quickly. They were arguing, and when she walked across the living room floor, she had really long hair down to her behind, and he grabbed her by the hair of the head, and he pulled her back. And I was like, not in my house. Melissa went back to her bedroom. That's where she kept her gun. I felt it was my place to take care of my sister by whatever means that I needed to to take care of her. We were raised that you took care of your family. Family came first, and that was my baby sister. So as being her older sister, I felt like it was my place to take care of her when mom and daddy weren't around. Michael thought Melissa's husband was home and that Melissa was going to get him to help. So he started yelling and threatening Melissa's husband, who was actually not home at the time. And he began to cuss and say, go get that so-and-so, such-and-such, and I'll whip his, you know what, too. She said she came back to the living room with the gun. And that's when Michael used his daughter as a human shield. He had picked Whitney up and was holding her in front of him so that I could not shoot him. And he proceeded out of the house and to the car, put her in the car, no car seat or anything, just put her in the car and got the big, gathered up the biggest rocks he could find and start throwing them at the mobile home that we were living in at the time. He put several holes in the mobile home. Melissa then called 911. And he left, and I told Billy, I said, I'm so sorry, because now he has your your baby with no car seat, you know, no seat belt. No, she was too too small. She was an infant. And I told her, I said, what if, what if he gets in an accident or something? It's, you know, it's going to be horrible. Then officers arrived. They arrived and said there was nothing they could do. It was a domestic dispute. And I said, okay. I said, You've been called several times from my understanding, not only here, but several other places. Melissa was referring to a time that Billy called 911 for help when Michael was threatening her with a gun. Because he had shot at her when they lived in Rondo as well. He shot at her with a shotgun as she was running down the road trying to get away from him. And luckily he missed that time. 
But nothing was ever done because by the time they got there, she had cooled down and it was like, it's, you know, she didn't want to press charges. So there was really, their hands were tied. There was nothing they could do. So nothing happened that day in Rondo and nothing happened that day at Melissa's house. Like Sarah, Melissa felt that if their dad had been around, he would have done something about Michael. Things would have been different. And just as Billy would never talk about the abuse, Melissa says that she and her mom never had a conversation about how Billy died. There was just an understanding that Michael had killed Billy, and there was nothing more to talk about. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. About four years after Billy died, Teresa goes to start dating Michael. Of course, she knew about Billy, and her brother David knew how Michael had treated his first wife, Gay. And why I thought he was any different, you know, I don't know. Just a stupid, stupid kid, you know. I was, he was abusive to me, bad. He beat me up one time, and that's all it took, but he, it took me forever to get away from him because he just wouldn't let me. Teresa moved into Michael's trailer with her three children about a month after they started dating. She took care of his daughter, too. He was very, uh, I couldn't go anywhere and do nothing without him knowing. I didn't have a car, so, you know, I, I was there all the time. I had to walk the kids to the bus stop, walk them back, and I didn't have, he wouldn't buy us a washing machine, so I washed clothes in the bathtub. Um, I better have supper on the table or his lunch on the table when he came home for lunch. And I, that particular day, I had, I didn't have no, no washing powders and no dishwashing liquid and no cigarettes. So my mom called and said she was going to run to the store. Wait, did I need anything? I said, yeah, she come by and got me. And he was already there when I got back and I got my ass beat. I told him, I said, I just went and got dishwashing liquid and washing powder because we, I needed to clean clothes and we needed, I had a sink full of dishes, you know, and I had no cigarettes. Well, he shoved the cigarettes down my throat, shoved the whole pack of cigarettes in my mouth. And he, I got scars all down my legs. I had bruises from one end of me to the other. He pulled me through the house by the hair of my head, slammed me on the bed, kicked me with his steel toe boots. I had, I had scars all down my legs where he kicked me with them boots. 
What was he saying to you while he was doing this? Just all kinds of stuff. I'm no good for nothing, you know, blah, blah. I just, it's a lot of it I don't remember, you know, mm -hmm. but I do remember being, having the hell beat out of him. How did he act after it was over? Oh, I, I, I tried, tried to get to out of the house to go call, call my mom for him to come get me. He wouldn't let me do it. And it wasn't, he, he, he wanted me to come in there and he doctored my legs, cleaned me all up, doctored my legs, put bandages on them, was real nice. You're not leaving me. I love you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm not staying here. So I tried to stay in there on the couch. We had two couches in the living room and he took and pulled the other couch over in front of that couch and laid there beside me and tried to snuggle with me and stuff. No, I wouldn't let him. Teresa said she tried to fight back, but the more she tried, the worse he got. He never pulled a gun on her, but he always had one. At the launch party for Burden, we met one of Teresa's daughters. That short time she lived at Michael's made a strong impression. Leanne remembers how he treated her mom. Even worse, she remembers Michael's cruelty toward his own child. The kids had been playing when Michael came home. His daughter was in the clothes dryer, and he shut the door and turned it on. Leanne could hear her crying as she thumped round and round. When Teresa did get out, her twin Lisa had to help her. So when he beat Teresa up, he, uh, I took her over there to get her clothes, to get her and the kids stuff, because, I, well, first of all, she had been in town with me all day. She mm -hmm. kept telling me she needed to go home, but she never te would tell me why. So I just w didn't take her home. Well, when I got when I took her home, I didn't know he was there. He had hit his truck. But I was going back to get her later that night to go to a, b a basketball game because the kids were playing basketball. So when I went back to get her, she was limping. And I said, what happened to you? Well, the kids started telling me that he beat her up. Kicked her in the leg with his steel boot, steel toe boots. So I said, well, you're not going back. I said, you're not going back over there. So I wouldn't let her go back over there. And so the next day or so, I took her over there, me and a few other people went over there to help her get her hers and her kids' stuff. And he pulled up behind us. Well, I had carried a gun over there. It was loaded. It was in the floorboard of the car. And um, he pulled up behind us, and he got out all mad, come up there cussing and stuff, and um, got in my sister's face. I told him, I said, do not touch her. Do not put your hands on her. He said, what are you going to do about it? I said, just don't do it. So he started around the car after me, and I told him, I said, don't come around that car. I said, it's going to be your worst mistake you ever made. And he said, why, what you going to do? So I just bent, and I had one foot in the car and one foot on the ground. So I bent down and picked the gun up. I had it by the butt, and it was pointed in the, at the floorboard of the car. So I just showed it to him. He said, oh, what you going to do, shoot me? I said, if you touch either one of us, I said, I'm going to blow your brains out. I can tell you what I'm going to do. So I said, the best thing you can do is just stay where you are. I said, we'll leave, and we'll be done with it. A few days later, Red, his dad, called mm -hmm. Teresa and told her she could come get her stuff, but she had to be by herself, and he helped her get it all.
I just remember like that the ghost of girl sticks out of my head the most because I remember when he had kicked her, she had, I mean, it was like a, a woman messing up, shaving or something and just taking a layer, like just, I mean, the whole front of the shin was just gone. That's Michael's nephew, David Wayne, who lived with his grandparents on the same property. He would have been five or six when Teresa and her kids were there. David Wayne was very close with his grandfather. He describes Red as his best friend. But while he thinks of him as a good man, he also knows his other side. Up until I was uh, nine or ten years old, and I remember the last time my papa slapped my grandma when he was getting ready to go out to the VFW. She didn't want him to go, and he backhanded her, and I remember pleading and crying, saying, don't do that, don't do that. And that was the last time I ever remember papa actually hitting my grandma. Elizabeth Letterman had a hard life with her husband. She's alive, but suffers from dementia. David Wayne was close to Liz. So hearing what he had to say is probably the closest we'll ever get to understanding her perspective. He said Liz confided in him. He'd never told Ashley this because he didn't know what to make of Liz's confession. He didn't want to hurt Ashley if the information wasn't true. David Wayne said it was time to finally tell what he knew because it was the right thing to do. What she had told me was that Michael had called her the night of this incident and that he was in a panic and he was irate saying, get here and help me, you know, I need your help. Billie Jean's been, sh- been shot. And basically that she had went there and that she had cleaned up blood and, and, and re- arranged furniture back into a nature that it hadn't been disturbed. And, and I said, Mamma, you know, stop. You know, I, what you're saying right now, just stop. And I said, we'll talk about it in a little bit because there's a question as to whether or not she's competent and whether or not she makes things up. I didn't know if it was attention. I didn't know what it was. So I said, okay, I'm just going to leave this be for a minute. I'm, I'll ask her in a few hours and see how this story changes, if it has anything more to it. It was the same story, and she was very scared, very, very alert of the situation and wanted to know, am I going to be in trouble? I just... I felt like Topper should know, and I felt like Ashley should know, since it's, it's, it is what it is. And I just, I, I, feel, I feel terrible at my heart that I didn't pick up the phone and call her that day, but what if it wasn't true? She doesn't deserve any ill or false information. So I just told her, you know, take it for what it's worth. This is what grandmother said. And I can see why she would do it for the love's sake of her son, but that doesn't make it right. He came forward after he saw a trailer that was made when this podcast was going to be a TV documentary. A friend sent a link to the video to ask if he'd seen it yet. David Wayne started to think about what it all might mean for Michael. Whatever comes of it is going to come of it. I'm hoping that Billie Jean and and Ashley, they get the justice that they deserve if that's, you know, the situation, of course. But from where I stand... I've seen the man lose it, and it wouldn't be a question in my mind as to whether or not he would. I'll stand behind that 100%. A lot of emotions hit me, you know, and and one of them was like, you know, maybe he's finally going to get a little piece of what he's always, you know, wanted for everybody else, you know. And I'm not the only one I feel that he just has a hatred for, you know. He, he, He masks it so well with words, you know, and tries to make you think and believe that he's just the nicest guy in the world.
At the time we spoke with him, David and Michael were on the outs. They had been buddies, smoked dope together, hunted together, rabble-roused together. David Wayne is 23 years younger than Michael. When he was 13, he was clearing a tree off a power line the electric company wouldn't deal with. When he picked up that line, electricity shot through him. Both of his arms had to be amputated. That hasn't slowed him down a bit, however. David Wayne has also struggled with addiction and has done much he's not proud of. He's got drug convictions and two domestic batteries on his record. One battery was from beating the hell out of his Uncle Mike. The other, he kicked his mom's window out. He was wild. He was raised by Red Letterman. One time David Wayne saw Michael lose it was when he went school shopping with his mom and grandmother. His mom was proud to have bought most of the supplies. So mom was proud and happy, you know, and look at these shoes, you know, Michael, da da da. And they were just black little, they looked like little, something like a little, decent little girl would wear, a little black button-up leathers and little shoes, you know. There was nothing wrong with those shoes whatsoever. And mom was, look at these shoes, you know, and Michael said, my daughter won't wear them effing. And then I GGR shoes. My mom, Michael, what do you mean? You heard what the, you know, I mean, and just for no reason whatsoever just lost it. And I mean, it started with the backhand, and the next thing you know, it was full blown fist, and he was wearing, I don't wanna say that, a Timberland work boot, some sort of heavy duty work boots that laced up around the ankle like my grandfather used to wear. And it went from him hitting her with his fist to standing and stomping my mama. And my grandmother threw herself on my mama. And I was trying to, too, while he beat the brakes off of my mama. And, I mean, after that, I mean, went into a rant out throughout the house and then finally made it out into the front yard and said, you'll never, you know, babysit my daughter, da-da-da-da-da. You called her every name in the book, you know, called my grandma names and went about his way. And then I guess the next day he was okay. Another time, David had thrown a rock through a window. Topper asked if he threw the rock and if he was going to fix it. Michael, on the other hand, pounded on the door. Topper approaches me in the right way, gentlemanly way. Knocks on my door, wakes me up early in the morning. We need to talk. Yes, sir. You throw a rock through that window? Yes, sir. You going to fix it? Yes, sir. All right, boy. See you later. That was the end of it. Not 15 minutes later, I'm trying to climb back into bed before I got to be at work. Boom, 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 my back door. I mean, almost breaking the glass out of it. I'm like, what the heck? I'm able to lean out of my bed and look through the, the hallway. It's Michael. You can see the look on his face. We know that look. I open up the door, and I'm, he's so up against it and stuff. I'm like, would you step back and let me open the door so I can get out there, you know? And I get out there, and he says, you little... And before he even get words out of his mouth, he's got his hand on my throat. And, I mean, he's five foot nine so i'm standing towering over him and i'm like dude what are you doing you know and he's like trying to choke me out and i went to looking at him eye to eye and then i found myself i can't even look at you dude so i turned my head while he's saying what he's saying and he still got his hand on my throat thinking he's doing something and he's look at me when i'm talking to you you mother effer you da 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 and finally i just turned my head and he just thought he had such a hold on me and i looked at him and i said i don't like looking at people that say they love me and they don't want to talk and treat me like this and he tried to get up and that when he done that right there i need him right in the ribs and he flew off the porch landed on his back i walked down the steps climbed on him and i said you fixing to get it now i mean i wore him out i wore him out and whenever i finally stood up he was crawling around and made the comment, you can pick your effing teeth up, they're right there, bro, and get your ass in your truck and get the fuck from my property, man. He went up to his house and the first thing he did was jumped out of his shit and went to fire his pistol in the air. I'll fucking kill you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. 
I got in the car, went down to my papa's, told him what had happened. Whenever I was coming back over the hill, he jumped out of the bushes where he was hid and flicked a lit cigarette inside the window of the car. And uh, I stopped the car and opened up the door and said, what, you want another ass whooping old man? And he said, oh, F you, I got the law on the way. You ran me over with a car. And I said, oh, okay, good one. And before I could get up in the driveway good, Miller County was coming onto the property. And of course, since he called the law, I went to jail. Mm -hmm. And I caught a domestic battery charge for that. Stayed a night in jail and was out the next day. I would have given anything to have seen him crawling on the ground, hurting with a bloody face. Because you know, that's exactly the standpoint he had so many times exactly. of my mama. Exactly. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating one bit whenever I climbed onto him like I did. And I mean, I... I I know jujitsu and some things like that, but I just kind of climbed and mounted on top of him, and I was thinking about the day he done what he done there, just the way he's talked to me. When I was a little boy, he come into the house one day and he was mad, and he had a belt in his hand, and he was telling me in a way that while he was telling me, he was nudging and hitting me in the face, and I left that house with a bloody nose, not with the intent to tell on my Uncle Mike, but my papa asked me, what happened to you? Why is your nose bloody? And I broke down crying and told him, Uncle Mike, you know, told me I'm not allowed back at his house no more, and da-da-da-da-da. And Papa went up there and confronted him. And uh, to this day, Michael says, you, you know, if I was to ask him, he said, you know damn well you lied that was Fruity Pebbles on your lip when you went and told my daddy that I, I, that I beat you, and da-da-da-da-da. And I said, Fruity Pebbles? Uh, uh, okay, if that's what you want to believe, dude. You got one colorful imagination. I'm not scared of that man by no means. I don't want to boast or anything on that, but as far as what the man's capable of doing when he's angry, I mean, I think anybody and everybody should be worried, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, everybody can get mad, you know what I mean? And, and throw their fits and this and that, but you know, you need to realize, you always be able to reel it back in, my saying, you know, don't get so far out there that you, you have lost sight of what's right and what's wrong and, and, and know that you can pull it back in and keep, keep on going, you know. Again, David Wayne knows firsthand how violent Michael is. Taking the conversation back to when he was very young, he remembered Teresa Gosa sitting the kids down to do homework. I got memories of us getting off the school bus and she would be trying to do the motherly thing, sit us down at the table to do our homework and things of that nature. And one day in particular, he came in and uh, a fight broke out. And I remember her trying to crawl from the back bedroom through the living area to the kitchen area where we were at the table. And those same boots that I mentioned earlier, uh, he would, I, for some reason those boots stick out in my mind because he loved to, to, to kick and stomp. David Wayne is still friends with a couple of boys whose mom also dated Michael. It's sad to say that it became such a ritual. I remember me and them two youngest boys, I'm still friends with them, I'd rather not say their name, looking at each other across that kitchen table and them looking at me like, man, what is he doing? Why is your people doing this to my mama? But at the same time, their mama had been in the same position, same predicament prior, you know, it's just, I just remember the look, you know, that they would have on their face, but at the same time, we wouldn't, we wouldn't dismiss ourselves from the table. It was like, it, it, we were so young and it's like, oh, okay, uh, that, oh, he, did, he did that yesterday or he did that last week, you know, and if it, 
once you've seen it so many times until you're old enough to know, hey, wait a second, no, that, that's not how things are supposed to be. It just kind of, I don't know how to explain it. I just, uh, yeah, we were scared. Yeah, we were, we were we were in fear, but at the same time, it, it never was directed towards us. So like, uh, it's hard to explain, you know? Mm -hmm. Just keep doing your homework and I guess almost act as if nothing's going on because like you said, you call his attention to yourself or you do something that's different than what he's wanting to do. You might be the one to catch it next, you know. He was abusive to every woman that I've ever seen him with. As we've gone back through interviews for the show, I hear myself asking why no one ever called the cops on Michael. But that's the wrong question. As a culture, we've come a long way on domestic violence and coercive control. Not far enough, of course. But looking back at attitudes toward domestic violence in Miller County, Arkansas, 30 years ago, you have only to look at who was running the prosecutor's office in the 90s. The year Billy died, the people of Miller County elected Brent Haltom to be prosecuting attorney. What I'm about to tell you are from public records that anyone can request. In the 70s, he was charged with raping his wife, who was divorcing him. Specifically, he was charged with sodomizing her. And he used a pistol to do it, not by holding it to her head, by violating her with it. The case records reveal an affidavit signed by his ex-wife, reluctantly asking the court to dismiss the case. Quoting from her affidavit, I have spent many hours trying to decide whether or not I should request that the charges be dismissed, due to the fact that I, as a prosecuting witness, would have to take the stand and relive once again that traumatic experience I have been put through once before. I believe it would be to my best interest, both physically and emotionally, that I not be put to the task of testifying in this case. Not only do I have concern for my own feelings, but also for those of my parents, as well as those of my friends who may be called upon the state to testify. She also commended the Lafayette County Sheriff's Office and the prosecutor for the hard work they put into the case. In 1975, Halton was found guilty in district court for DWI, carrying a concealed weapon, and threatening an officer. He appealed to circuit court and pleaded guilty to threatening an officer, but the other charges were dismissed. He was fined $250, and the sheriff was ordered to return Halton's 41 caliber to the defendant. Halton was licensed as an attorney in 1979. The records have been destroyed because it was so long ago, so we can't see if these criminal records were disclosed or discussed when he applied to be an attorney. In 1982, when he was an attorney, he pleaded no contest to dogfighting and was fined $1,000. 650 of that, of course, was suspended. Early in his career as the elected prosecutor, Haltom's mother was found beaten to death inside the family's furniture store in 1993. Haltom told a reporter that he didn't know the motivation for the murder, but it was possible someone could be trying to get revenge on him. Haltom also believed strongly in the death penalty and told reporters in 1994 that he enjoyed attending executions. He said he especially liked to witness the executions of those he helped prosecute. Halton would go on to be elected as a judge in Miller County. Now, we're not saying that this man's own propensities resulted in a lack of prosecution in Billy's case. Our point in talking about these public records is that times were different back then. Domestic violence wasn't really an issue at the forefront of society's concerns. When we elect and hire public officials who are allowed to get away with such violence, how are we to change the way we help victims and even perpetrators? In the next episode, you'll meet Michael's third wife, Jenna. She did go to the police. Many times. But to know that I was sleeping next to a monster, and now that I can look back, I can definitely say <laughs> he was a monster. I mean, he, he was 
evil. He is a very evil man. But the way he can come across, oh, he had everybody fooled. Visit burdenpod.com for more information about this show. That's burdenpod.com. There you can contact us, sign up for our mailing list, or see photos of the people featured in the podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at BurdenPod. Subscribe to Burden in your favorite podcasting app, and please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podchaser. It really helps us out. We're also on Patreon, where you can purchase a monthly subscription and access bonus content, like extended video interviews, Billy's case files, photos of the house where Billy was shot, and a collection of family photos. If you know anything about this case, please let us know. What you send in will not be shared unless we have your permission. We know there were witnesses from that night who have not wanted to talk. If you change your mind, we still want your insight. If you or someone you know needs help, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233 or text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. Stay safe and until next time. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.